Hey friends, when's the last time you did something just because it scared you, but you felt like you had to do it anyway? Good news for you. You're going to hear about that today. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 299, Ryan George and Living With Courage. This guy is kind of an adrenaline junkie. Got some great stories. Here we go. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. As always, thank you so much for downloading, for sharing. I know that you're going to really be excited by this episode uh, because it's. I know we're going to have lots of uh, lots of great stories and conversations. Hey, if you do, if you do enjoy the show, which I mean, you're going to, right? Uh, would you do me a favor? Go ahead and just hit that share button in whatever app you're listening to. I know on Spotify, I share all the time, individual episodes. You can do that, or you can go to the Overcast app, share the episode. You can text it to a friend, grab a clip, grab a great story, put it out there on social. That would be really helpful. It's the best compliment you can give me. And if you're able, you're interested, you want to help keep the show running, go over to halfwaythereapodcast.com. You can hit that Patreon button. That helps a lot as well. Thank you to those of you who do help support the show every month. Makes a big difference. All right. Well, let's get into our conversation today. Uh, our guest, this is he's this is amazing. I can't wait to hear a little bit about it because he has traveled to all seven continents and both polar circles, right? I don't this sounds cold, but I can't wait to to hear about it. Uh it's kind of an adrenaline junkie, a certified uh wing walker, a bungee jumping enthusiast. And I don't even know how to say the rest of this part. So let's let's just bring him in. Our guest is Ryan George. Ryan, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, it's good to be here. Ryan, what is a what a Via Ferretta connoisseur? I don't even know what a Via Ferretta is. All right, so Via Ferretta, we're just starting Ferrata. to get them in. Yeah, actually, there's one not far from you. It's probably the best in the our country. It's just now starting to come to the United States. Uh, I did it a couple of summers ago, but um, so Via Ferretta was started by the Italians during World War One. And it was to get troops up over the mountains because they knew the Austrians would be waiting in the valleys because that's the easiest way to get anywhere. And so wow. they built these metal rungs into the side of the mountain. So take a piece of rebar, bend it into the shape of a U and drill it into the mountain up there. And then they run safety cables and you, you wear a harness and you clip it. At least you do now. And the original, you didn't. And they would go up <laughs> over the Alps in the wintertime, in the summertime, both uh, pulling their gear, pulling their ammunition, everything up over to surprise the Austrians on the other side. So in Italy, these stuck around, and it's a great way to see the Alps. Uh, they're in a lot of countries in Europe. Uh, the best one I've done in North America is up in British Columbia. But um, yeah, so you climb. So it's kind of like rock climbing, but you don't have to have the grip strength and all the technique because it's basically climbing a ladder, but you're clipped wow. in the whole time. So the highest I've ever been hanging off is 2,400 feet above the ground. But usually, <laughs> like in Colorado, I don't think you ever get more than like 300 feet off the ground. It's it's fairly low to the ground, but uh, relatively, right? Right. Um, but the one in Ure there in Southwest Colorado, you actually hang over a Creek or a river the whole time. And that you're only about 40 feet off the water, but it is just cool to have water running underneath you while you're clipped into the side of a cliff. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It looks like there's one in Idaho Springs too, which is kind of yep. West. Yeah. Of where I haven't I done that's... that one yet. That one looks pretty cool. Wow. Okay. Well, so I've never heard of that and I'm just looking at these pictures. I'm just going to say hard pass for me. I'm not going to do it, <laughs> but you're an adrenaline junkie self-described. So tell, tell me, tell me what that means and what, what, uh, why you love doing that kind of thing? 
Well, let me explain the two kinds of adrenaline junkies uh, okay. because they, we tend to get blurred together. So um, they're the kind that we all think of, like the professional Red Bull people who <laughs> keep taking an action sport all the way to the edge. And unfortunately, a lot of times when you play at the edge, you find it. Um, you know, think of base jumpers or the squirrel suit, wingsuit guys or different things like that. These guys now who are skydiving into a net instead of using a parachute or what have you. That's one one (laughs) route to do it. The other is a more safe route. This is the way I do it is that I like to try a whole bunch of different adrenaline stuff at a more tourist level. So I have a wide resume, but not a very deep resume. You know, I've never gone off a waterfall in my kayak, but uh, (laughs) you know, I, I hang out with people who do, if that makes sense. So yeah. I never get to a place where my wife has to worry if I'm going to come home. <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. Uh, Cause probably the most dangerous thing I do is drive to the airport to fly, to go do one of these things. To go do something cool. Okay. Well, that's good to know, I guess that uh, I just look at those pictures going, yeah, no, I don't think so. That's all right. <laughs> uh, that's okay. But somebody has to love that stuff. So that's good. I'm glad that's, that's you. Well, we're going to talk about your story and some of kind of maybe, maybe how some of that came about in your life and how you discovered mm. it and what you've learned about the Lord along the way. So tell me about, uh, like, where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? That's a fun answer. So I was born in upstate New York. Uh-huh. Uh, I lived in six other states between then and now. Okay. <laughs> uh, my dad was in the ministry, uh, actually uh, didn't start in the ministry till later in life, went back to college, then worked as an intern, and we kind of moved at each of his career stops. So um, I've lived all along the East Coast. All of the states I've lived in are east of the Mississippi Um, And then 20 years ago, uh, God brought us here to the Blue Ridge Mountains. We live about 10 minutes outside of Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, So if I go up to the top of the hill here, I live down by the creek in the bottom of the hollow. But if I go up to the top of the hill, I can see the Blue Ridge Mountains. Nice. I said, but that's nice to see. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, beautiful. Um, Okay, so that's that's fascinating. So you grew up kind of East Coast, moving around. What? um, So what was that like? Your dad said your dad was in ministry, so Christian family, and you kind of— yeah. So, so I'm probably one of your only guests who've been baptized into three different faiths. <laughs> <laughs> I was christened a Catholic as a baby. Um, I, my dad became a Baptist pastor after a, uh, vacation Bible school where we had real sheep. That was the big attraction. Uh, <laughs> when I was four years old, um, I made a profession of faith and got baptized. Uh, several years later, uh, my dad was showing the thief in the night, like end times horror video series in our church. And I was like, I don't want to go to hell God. So if that last one didn't count, does this, this one can count. Right. And then a few years later, I went to a Christian camp in Tennessee and did the same thing. I was like, you know, some evangelists got us all, uh, whipped into a frenzy. I was like, I don't, I, I, I don't want to go to hell. So if the first two didn't count, will this one count? You know, and I kind of kept doing that process yeah. until about 2006, uh, I was out of college. I was married. I went to a, a Christian college in the South. And uh, uh, yeah, I came to a, this moment of faith where I just, uh, it became real. I, I met a different brand of Christian. Actually, a lot of adrenaline junkie Christians are, um, and reevaluating my faith. And there came a day where I just went, you know what? I, I don't have to ask that anymore. Like, I know mm-hmm. this is real, realer than it's ever been. And I don't doubt it anymore. And so I got baptized again at 29 years old. I mm. went and said, you know, I don't know when exactly it happened, but I know it's happened because I don't have to do this anymore. And I got yeah. up on stage and uh, and I got baptized. So interesting. Okay, so a couple things. First of all, that's the second time today "Thief in the Night" has come up, which is kind of 
<laughs> kind of creepy. I, I've so I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, and they actually filmed parts of that in the in the woods where I used to hang out with my friends. And no play. way. Yeah, no, no joke. So we we have a special affinity for that in our friend group, but. Uh, so that's weird, but also terrible theology. Don't <laughs> it is. <laughs> don't do that, my friends. Don't be a dispensationalist. It's not good for you or anybody. Um, but you so it's interesting that you like had this moment where you're like, Oh yeah, actually I don't have to do this anymore. You had this kind of a well, well there's a moment or a season or a, like whatever it was. You you came to that realization. Was there something that like when you look back on it that made you go, Oh, that's that's it. Was there a truth that you realized? Was there a passage? Was there a mentor? What was it that kind of made you go, Oh yeah, I don't have to do this anymore. And maybe there's nothing. Maybe it was just the Holy spirit. It's okay. But I'm just curious. No, it actually was a really cool experience. So um, I came to a place, I was actually going to a Spanish speaking church. My wife is a missionary kid bilingual um, and it brought her a lot of life to go to that church. And, and we went there for a while. I don't speak Spanish. I can read the signs when I'm traveling in other countries and stuff. I can read a menu, but uh, it made church really different difficult for me. And so I was kind of drifting in my faith. And my wife said, well, hey, you know, uh, church starts at this time. Like, if you want to start going to another church beforehand, you know, um, an English speaking church, have at it. And so there's, I think, like 300 churches in the phone book where I live. I mean, it's a huge Mm -hmm. uh, place. But anyway, so I found one by our house and I started going and um, they offered this event called Imprints. And uh, it was like eight or 10 weeks. And all it was, was videos from different speakers. You would know probably all of them. Um, and just saying, what, what should Christianity look like? What should the church look like? And I remember I walked in there and I'd never heard some of this stuff. Those questions weren't allowed. Those topics weren't allowed mm-hmm. in the faith system I grew up in. And I remember my, um, they had like a small group leader, the discussion leader, and I had a couple and they were going through infertility and it just got to a really hard place. And I remember, uh, the wife, uh, Megan said, I'm having a really hard time believing that God is good right now. And I'd never heard anybody in church say that, like, you're allowed to say that. <laughs> and it just led to, those are the kind of conversations we had over that eight or 10 weeks, whatever it was. And so then I started blogging and processing and journaling. And, um, yeah, it was a year later, uh, 13 months later from that, that I, uh, got baptized. Cause it just, opened up so many things. And uh, Mm. yeah, I I experienced God because I was able to ask him questions. I never asked him before. And he felt very personal for the first time. So, so just going off what you said before, it seems like you had before this kind of idea that God was maybe scary. Yeah. Going to get you. Right. And then all of a sudden you experienced him as, Hey, actually I can talk to him about all the, all the things that I'm concerned about. And that that made the difference. That was one of the things. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of different influences in my life and transitions, but seeing it lived out authentically, seeing pastor, it was the first time I was ever in a church where a pastor was on stage to say, hey, I, I struggle with this, but yeah. I know we need to talk about it. And they do a cruel thing on our teaching team at our church. Uh, I've been going to the same church now for 16 years, but um, whoever on the teaching team has struggled with that topic either as a temptation <laughs> or a doubt or whatever. They're like, okay, you're the one that's going to teach on it because you'll be able to teach most authentically. Wow. The faith system I grew up on, that's the last person we're going to put on stage, right? We're going to put the person who looks all put together. And so that, that example of authenticity of being able to ask questions, um, it just changed for me. I, I'll give you another example. So one of our other pastors, I took him out to lunch and I said, I've only been going to this church for eight months. How do you guys trust me? to run a small group here. And he said, well, um, 
we don't have to know your backstory. We don't have to know how much of the Bible, you know, we look at how long it takes you to respond to a prompt from the Holy spirit. And if that amount of time is getting shorter and shorter, we don't have to trust you. We trust the Holy spirit. We'll clean up the messes later. Yeah. <laughs> and just the whole criteria of what makes you a good Christian or what makes you a, a valuable in a Christian community. It, it just opened the doors wide open for me. Yeah, that's really interesting. So then you said that you had kind of started blogging and, and writing, working some of this stuff out. I'm really interested in, in that because I don't know that I've had, we've talked about that a lot on this show about the role that creation plays, like creating mm. things plays in discipleship, right? So what did that do for you that you were able to kind of write out your thoughts and, and explore it? kind of in a public way, but what, so what was that like? Cause that's, I think it's a little bit new. Yeah. For me, I was telling someone earlier today, maybe it was yesterday that uh, one of the most Sabbath things I can do. One of the most holy moments I can do is to try to write out what's going on in my life. I've been journaling every day since 2016. Uh, when I really struggle to wrap my head around a concept, whether it's virtual church when COVID first hit or it's, you know, uh, how I process adrenaline rushes or whatever it is. Uh, somewhere in there, I get to a place where uh, I can't go anymore logically and go, nope, that's false. And I have to go back. And I keep I keep bumping into, I have to research, I have to look things up until I go, oh, this is what I actually believe. Yeah. And um, I used to tell my wife this morning over breakfast, there are times when I'm writing that I said, I don't know where that sentence or that thought came from. I've never thought that. I've never heard that. I don't know any of that. And then all of a sudden, here it is on the page in front of me. I wrote it, but I don't know where it came from. Yeah. So for me, those are very holy moments. Yeah, I understand that. So for me, it's it's talking, right? I, to, I found out, <laughs> I have to say something out loud before I know that I think it, right? And then I can look at it and decide, is that true or is that not true? Maybe I was a little too harsh, you know, whatever, which, you know, happens sometimes. But I have to say it out loud in order to, like, get it done. So I need that sort of relational kind of... <laughs> kind of thing to spar with and figure it out. Um, well, that's interesting. Okay. So you kind of worked your work, some of those things out. How then, um, you know, how'd you get into some of these kind of adrenaline junkie stuff? <laughs> that's uh, that's well, a very articulate question, by the way. No, that's, no, that's this fine. Is what I do. Uh, well, and the thing is, is in our culture right now, um, privilege, wealth, engineering, everything, there's more and more crazy things we can do. They're finding more and more things you can hook a harness to, you know. Um, but part of it was um, my brother was graduating from high school. We were all homeschooled. And so I pitched my parents on a senior trip to get him out of the house for a couple of weeks. We went to New Zealand and we jumped off buildings and cliffs and planes and everything else. And I was hooked. And then right at that same time, that was the same year I started coming to this church. And I had a pastor who used to be an, uh, an ice climber and a whitewater kayaker. I had a pastor who uh, raced motorcycles, a pastor who was a rock climber and a wilderness guide, uh, a pastor who now flies experimental aircraft. And so what happened, and then the guys that I serve with, I, I serve on my team, my church's uh, parking lot ministry. We greet people out there. And the guys around me are whitewater canoers and kayakers and uh, powered parachute guys. I mean, all different adventures. And so what happened was I surrounded myself with guys who were like, Hey, you want to come this weekend? <laughs> and I can't tell you how many, and then you get in it and you do it and you start talking to their friends or somebody else like, Oh, well, if you love this, you'll love paragliding. Well, if you love that, mm -hmm. you'll love hang gliding. Well, if you love this, you'll love, you know, 
and eventually you end up like I do on the wing of an airplane while it's doing aerobatic maneuvers. So <laughs> no, that sounds terrible. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. It might, it might be fun. Yeah. It'd be good. Um, okay. So yeah, it's just kind of snowballed. It sounds like, like you just, you did this, did this trip with your brother. Well, and part of it too. So, and, and I talk about this in the, the book that I just wrote um, is that a lot of those I did for the wrong reasons as a homeschool student before the, you know, the internet and social media was a thing. I was a very lonely kid. By the time I got to college, I wasn't one of the cool kids. Uh, when I did go to Christian school, I was bullied. And so when I got out of college, I wanted to prove to the world that I was somebody. And the only way I, in my mind I could do that was to be interesting. So rather than just, just be uh -huh. interested in people, I tried to be interesting. And my business was taken off and social media became a thing. And so it became this performative thing that I'm going to go do it first, right? I'm we're going to see something happen on the amazing race. I'll Google where they did it. And then I'll go do it before any of my friends or whatever the algorithm was there. So there was a lot of unhealth in why I was doing it. Um, because I was just trying to prove the rule. Look, I'm interesting. I'm doing something. There were times that I was scared to do something, but as soon as I turned a GoPro on, I was ready to go because I know this is Facebook goal, right? Or now this is Instagram yeah. goal. And it wasn't until I got into therapy and, and had some really hard conversations with my pastor and my wife, um, profound things. Uh, that we talked about that I was able to do them for the love of it, for the joy of it, um, to even go on some and not take pictures or video to just do it because I love it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so tell me about that because I think that sounds like an important moment in sort of your own, your own growth and your own discipleship, you know, were there, or maybe let me ask before you get there, like, were there any other moments as you were, you know, between what we've talked about and now that, were really sort of formative for you or where you felt like God either spoke to you or led you in a certain direction or that kind of helped you understand kind of what living the, we call it the way of Jesus living like Jesus, right? The, uh, living in his way, what that looks like. Oh yeah. Tons. In fact, so the, the pastors I first started doing this stuff with used to be an outward bound trained um, guide. And so what they do at outward bound is they take you in the wilderness. You do something scary, whether it's a big, uh, whitewater thing or rock climbing or hike or whatever. And then at the end of it, they leave you alone with a journal for varying amount of time and you process that. And, and basically the question they're asking is, okay, you just did something you've never done. You may have just done something you didn't think you could do. So you pass this arbitrary line between I've never, or I can't, and I just did. So now going back to your regular life, whatever it is back home, what is something that you've told yourself I can't or whatever and that you can now realize is arbitrary that you can lean into that. And so our pastor put that in a filter of faith of going, okay, what did you experience about God out here that you're going to mm. take home? What are you scared to say back home that you weren't scared to do, you know, that kind of question. And so right from the beginning, I had a filter to process all of these adventures through a filter of what is God saying to me in these. And I come home and blog about it. Um, but that was the beautiful redemption of this as I'm going around the world, trying to prove to the world, on social media, my friend group, whatever, that I'm enough. Jesus was waiting there with a spiritual lesson every time. He's like, I know you came here for the wrong reasons, but I've got something about my character, about my heart, about who I am mm -hmm. that you can take home and be a different person. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Um, it takes, it takes that sometimes, right. To, to figure out. So I often talk about those kinds of moments in terms of the dark night of the soul, right. Where we, mm -hmm. where we feel like, uh, God is far away or distant. Did you feel like you were trying to prove yourself to the Lord too? Or were you still, 
Was that maybe a carryover from some of your things or was it, was that not there? Uh, the only part I struggled as far as vertically like that was, you know, a lot of my friends were spending their vacations working with the homeless or with, you know, prostitute rescue situations, like these really hardcore developing nation things. And I was spending mine going to Antarctica or, you know, surfing in the Arctic or whatever. So there's this whole idea of like, am I, am I using my resources correctly? But what I've learned to do is on the, most of these trips is I bring people with me and I turn them into ministry opportunities, whether that's discipleship or just helping people process or even, you know, sharpening my own saw while we're out there to come back to do ministry. Uh, I get recharged doing these things. And so it, it was a process to me to where I had to go. And this was basically the premise of my book was that I had to go, no, God didn't have to redeem these because he wired me this way. And he let me be born when I could go and Google these things and find a vendor that would strap me to this contraption and whatever. Yeah. And so I started to see his heart. And what really changed in me is when I became a dad a few years ago to go, Oh no, no, I love to give my daughter really incredible experiences. I love to uh, let her know, like give her a gift that shows that I'm paying attention. One of her favorite shows is Bob's burgers. And last year for Christmas, <laughs> I paid an artist to draw my wife, her and I into a scene of Bob's burgers. And we have, that's our family portrait in our living room. Oh, nice. And it's just for her to know, no, no, I'm paying attention to the thing you love. And I, I get that moment with Jesus over and over and over again um, in my travels. Mm. Yeah, that's good. So what prompted you to go to all seven continents? Peer pressure. Peer pressure, yeah. <laughs> so for my 40th birthday, I went to Antarctica, which was continent number six for me. And I'm on the ship with, I think we were on a former Russian research vessel. So it wasn't like a cruise ship. Um, it was an expedition ship. So we we're like ice climbing and kayaking and stuff like that. And most of the people in our contingent, I think there was 30 of us that spoke English on there. They were all getting their seventh continent. Like the they were going to Antarctica because it was number seven. I was going to Antarctica because I idolized it since I was in high school. Like I, I grew up mm. on snowmobiles and stuff. I just loved, I love the cold. Um, and so I was down there and I was like, well, shoot, all my friends now have seven. And so I, I came home and it was my slow season at work and I had some American express points. I was like, well, let's go to Asia. Let's go get Asia. So, <laughs> uh, so I went to Nepal and visited my wife and I had supported a young lady there, um, through high school. And now she's a nurse over there, but got to see her and meet her. I preached in a Nepali church, which was just crazy. That was scarier wow. to me than I, uh, I was paragliding <laughs> over there. Um, yeah, it just, it's crazy. So yeah, it was peer pressure. Very fascinating. Did you go? So my, my only thing about Antarctica is, um, the Shackleton boat. Did you see they just found that yeah. thing? Like that was pretty cool. They're going to. It's crazy how intact that thing is. Right. That's kind of neat. Friends, if you haven't heard the story, you need to look up Ernest Shackleton, look up his famous ad and, uh, read, read the book. There's a great book with some awesome pictures of all the, the people who, he didn't lose anybody, but he lost his boat. So that's uh, that's that's enough. You guys. What's interesting is I heard a, a British man talking about this a few weeks ago, and he said Shackleton is a national hero for us, mm. and he never succeeded. He only right. kept failing. Yeah, <laughs> but we all we all love how hard he tried while failing. Right. Well, he right exactly, and that's sort of that English character, right? Americans, we'd just be like, dude, whatever. You lost your boat. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> but they they love him. Very interesting, dude. Okay. Anyway, so obviously Antarctica reminded me of that. Some, I've got a picture book of him up here somewhere, I think. There you go. 
anyway, well, okay. So that's kind of, that's really fascinating uh, that you, you were able to, to go to all of them. What, what have you learned? I'm curious what you've learned about God in those, in those journeys. Like what, what's a, a thing or two as you like me, I mean, you don't have to go through all the continents, but I'm guessing you see pieces of who God is in each of those places. What have you, mm. what have you noticed? What stands out to you about that? Uh, so the number one thing I, I, well, there's two things. The number one would be sovereignty that I'm standing in a place at a specific moment in time. And to realize it, for instance, when I went to Iceland for the first time, I was standing on this very specific beach in a town named Vik, V-I-K. It's known for a black sand. And I, it was a dark night because I went in November. So there's night most of the time there. And I just listened to worship music on the, on the sand and I'm, I'm praising Jesus and praying and crying. And I fly home that weekend and I go to church and it just so happened that the background you know, the, they show the lyrics during the service up on the screen. And a lot of times they'll put like motion, whatever. And it was that beach that oh, I'd wow. just been on that week. So here I am worshiping and the lyrics of this song that I'm singing right now on the Sunday are just wrecking me because I'm going back to this spiritual moment that I had with Jesus four days earlier on that exact beat. And nobody in that church could have known. I mean, it's not a, they just bought some stock footage probably, you know, right. Uh, but the other is something actually that uh, astronauts talk a lot about. There was a space journalist in the eighties. I forget his name. I think his last name is white, but he came up with a term called the overview effect. Mm. And it was the idea that when an astronaut goes up to space and looks at the world as a whole, just floating there, that uh, you lose your jingoism and nationalism and patriotism to an extent, because you go, this is all, all these lines are arbitrary. I'm seeing a globe with no lines, no colors, no, and, you know, and so there's this shared humanity, especially the, the um, astronauts now who are on the International Space Station. There's such a camaraderie there. You know, our U.S. guys are going up in Russian rockets and they're meeting Japanese and China, you know, mm-hmm. all these different nationalities. And it's this idea that you now God's everywhere. He's doing unique things in different parts of the planet, but he doesn't have borders to what he's doing. He doesn't have favorites. Like, you know, it, and so uh, it's interesting because there's a, another space journalist two years ago. I've been really into reading space books lately. I want to go to space. That's the adventure that's still out there for that's me. The, the eighth <laughs> continent, right? Like right. The, eighth, the, the final sure. frontier, as it were. But but two years ago, a uh, space journalist coined the phrase, the, I think it's called the ultra view effect, which is that so many astronauts are coming back to Earth searching for a spiritual explanation for what they experienced that they're mm astronauts who've gone to space are more likely to go to church or to get into a religion or whatever, because they're just overwhelmed with that sense of place. And so going around the world, you're less of an American and more of a citizen of a world. And when you hear the great commission or you hear go ye unto all the world or for God so loved the world, you see that, right? I know what pizza tastes like in this country. I know what the water smells like in this country. I know Mm. what the people worship like. I know the difference between a Nepali church service, uh, one in Peru and one in the States and one in Canada. Like I've experienced those things. And so you really start to see a diverse and creative God. And uh, it it humbles you to scale. I I tell people, I like to go places that make everything in my life seem smaller on purpose. (laughs) My, my accomplishments and my worries, my Mm -hmm. sin and and my hopes and dreams, whatever, everything. I've never dreamed too big for God, you know? I will. So you're touching on something that I, that is really one of my hobby horses and it's about experience, right? So, 
uh, because I think that our experiences, even though as, as Christians, we don't want to admit, admit it all the time, but or evangelicals anyway, our experiences really shape us. They really, mm. they really change our perspective, whether they're positive or negative, right? Or, and sometimes we can choose whether we're shaped positively or negatively, mm. right? We can, we can encounter opposition or we can encounter a tough time and come out bent in different ways, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think talking about those experiences and particularly our experiences with the Lord is really, really valuable because then we can get those, get those perspectives. Like I didn't know there was a thing like this effect where that people have, right. But it makes total sense when I, when I hear about the experience that astronauts have. Um, so, uh, which is why I asked the question about how do those experiences let you see God? I love what you said about, yeah, let you see the humanity, right. The, the kind of, and his overall. So, one of the one of the spots on the spiritual journey that I'm interested in is the loving, loving the whole world, right? Loving, loving others. How has that changed for you, or has that like how's that? Because it's it's hard to do in one place, or it's hard to do, you know, from where you are, from for a lot of us, if we don't have those perspectives. So what what's that been like for you? Oh wow. Um. Well, I'll just say this, like one way has changed me is in social media because I have friends now um, in countries that don't have access to the things that I have. It really makes me careful about what I post. Like here in the States, we'll put something awesome in our life and, you know, hashtag blessed. And there's this underlying prosperity gospel to what we do. Um, And we assume that's because of God's favor or whatever, when actually it was because of where we were born and, you know, the, the situation around us. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I think how you process an experience determines a lot of what you get out of it. Um, I'm really grateful. I see a therapist every week. Uh, tomorrow actually is my weekly appointment and to process not only my pain, but my wins um, and the things I'm accomplishing there process how it changes the world. And so I think how it's changed my love to answer your question is, is um, traveling the world has made me more humble and so it makes you more curious. The more you see the world, you re- the more you realize, oh, I don't know enough. I've not seen enough. You know, I I can't speak expertly enough. It's I, you're probably familiar with the Dunning Kruger effect, mm-hmm. um, which is that you know people who don't know enough are the people who think they know the most, right? <laughs> which all you have to do is watch cable news on either side of the political <laughs> spectrum to figure that out. And so what happens is when you're humble, then you're curious. And then people feel seen and heard um, and they feel love in a way that they don't from someone who thinks they know it all. And uh, that's our American reputation in other countries is we show up going, oh, you guys aren't doing this American. And I had a buddy uh, who used to uh, go to my church years ago and he complained when he came back from an all-inclusive resort in the Dominican Republic that the burgers didn't take taste American enough. I was like, but you're in the Dominican Republic, man. Did you try this, this, and this? Like, this right. is what they make there, you know? And I think we we do that with our gospel. We do that with our faith. Mm-hmm. When there's so much to learn from them, how they do things. Um, uh, one of my, several of my buddies just got back from Nepal. They went over there doing an undercover thing where they're helping mountain pastors train them in theology so that they can go and plant more churches. And you're saying they never heard prayer like what they experience over there. And they go, man, 
I've been a Christian for a decade or two decades or whatever the period of time is. And I've never experienced prayer. Like I just experienced over there. And for them, they didn't even think about it. Like this is just how they do it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So the more humble it makes us, the more love loving it makes us. Yeah. Okay. Friends, I got to just point this out because I think there's something there and it's maybe one reason we do halfway there the way we do and that there's other options, there's other there's other streams. So uh, way back episode 100, I talked to Aaron Nequist, and uh, he said, you know, he called it the eternal current, right? There's all these streams of Christianity that flow into the one current that God is, you know, of of relationship with God that he's that he's forging, uh, and maybe we need to experience some of those. Like maybe, maybe we should stop being so hung up on whether or not you're right. <laughs> there's, there's certain truths. Don't get me wrong, but whether right. or not we're right, but, and figure out whether or not we're loving and caring about our neighbor. I think that's, that's really, and serving with humility, right. Instead of, instead of hubris, which we do, we definitely do. I like what Bob Goff says on that. He goes, the best theology is loving people like Jesus loved them. <laughs> right. Right. Nobody, nobody asked Jesus what he believed other than the Pharisees, right? Like the, the regular people, they felt seen, they felt compassion, they felt um, an acceptance that they didn't from their own religious establishment. Mm-hmm. And so when we love people like that, the theology follows. It's, it's, it's hard to have bad theology when you're living Christ's example. Wow. So true. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um so have you had a, I always like to ask this, have you had a, like a dark night of the soul season? Have you had a time when maybe God uh, seemed far away or seemed like he wasn't there? The closest I came to that. So I, I don't know if it's my perspective of how I was reared or like um, travel or whatever, but whenever God feels far away, it's not that he feels far away. It's that I feel far, like far away from home base. It's not like he, he's a moving target and somehow I missed him. It's like, I know where he is. I know where to go back and get that, you know, that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But several years ago, my favorite uh, spiritual community at my church uh, got shut down for a season and ended up being permanently. And so I didn't have a a community around me of men or women and, um, and so one of my buddies was going through something really hard that summer. And we, I got one of Bob Goff's books and just said, Hey, let's, let's go through this and ask each other questions and pray over each other. And that summer was really hard. Um, but it birthed a beautiful thing. And now that group is 20 some guys and we meet every Wednesday night. It's where I'm going after this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have a fire outside and we, uh, there's nobody teaches. We don't, you know, we don't go through somebody else's Bible. Say we just open the, open up the Bible and say, what does it actually say? And how's that change what I'm going to be this week? And then everybody prays for the guy on the right. Like, okay, I'm going to pray this thing that you need to work on this week over you. And then next week, we're going to ask you, how'd that go? You know? Yeah. And so it was one of the darkest because I just felt untethered from my church and from God still had this, you know, personal spiritual practices. But what I found in my life, the most meaningful uh, reading the Bible, praying, singing, all of that is when I'm with other people. And so, um, that was probably the longest. I was probably about a year, year and a half that I was spinning out like that. And again, I was still serving my wife's on staff at our church. It's it's not like it looked on the outside, like things were falling apart. Um, But it led to that darkness led to a very beautiful thing. Mm, Yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. That's really good. By the way, I do love that if you have prayer assignments. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hate to like just not know if everybody's been prayed for or if not know when I'm supposed to pray. That makes me crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I just need to know the expectation, please. Well, we anyway. tell guys uh, when they show up, like a new guy, we're like, listen, um, you don't have to pray, but you have to be prayed for. So somebody <laughs> somebody might have to pray twice, but everybody's getting prayed for before they leave here. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Anyway, that's just one of my pet peeves. One time I, I prayed and I prayed for the, I said the guy's name wrong. That was bad. Anyway, that's all. That's all. <laughs> Uh, I hate it when that happens. Anyway, uh, crawl out of that little shame hole. Um, so I saw, I saw one of the one, one thing in the book. Um, because it sounds like not everybody is always, um, like interested in or agrees with some of your interests, right? So you get a little bit of you get a little <laughs> bit of opposition, right? A little bit of like, hey, pushback. What is, what is that about, and how do you handle that? Well, so one of the ways I get out of it is I invite people on the trip. Uh, you create sales reps because when someone <laughs> comes back and their life has changed, or they've had an experience unlike anything they've ever experienced. Um, yeah, it goes back to, and I think I wrote a blog about this, but five, six years ago, six years ago now, actually six years ago, Monday, uh, I I was called a heretic in my, my industry. I work for the auction industry. And I found out that uh, one of the pastors of my youth had called me a heretic and was just railing on me. And, and so I, as I processed it, I went and talked to Jesus. I talked to my friends. I started writing. I said, one of the things that you can't argue with, heretic or not, is a changed life, right? If, if what's going on now in my life makes me more loving, more kind, more humble, uh, more giving, generous, whatever, it's hard to argue with whatever is working. If, if I'm drinking, you know, bleach, but it's working. Like it's hard to argue with that. Um, and so what happens is I invite people into the experience and the more people that you invite, the more people are like, no, no, this is the real deal. And, and I had a spiritual moment too. And mm -hmm. it's just really cool when you, there is something that happens, you know, like in a whitewater raft, uh, when you're in a scary situation, you get out, it's, it's almost like a foxhole mentality where you guys, you guys just conquered something together. It's almost always men in my case that then walls break down and people I've been on trips where a guy told me, yeah, my marriage is going through this or yeah, my, my job is going to tank. And I'm not, you know, whatever the thing is, or I struggle with porn or I struggle with anger or whatever the thing is that they feel safe because you have physically been part of them feeling safe for the last two days or whatever. Right. And so that's one way to combat it. The, the big one I talk about in the book, you know, I wanted to be a car designer or a car journalist growing up. And my pastor in high school was, it was like, oh, that's so materialistic. Why don't you work for God? Like, why, you know, there's going to be no cars in heaven. I remember him saying that. Ugh. And so I went to college and uh, I wasn't going to be in automotive journalism because all but one of my teachers was a woman and I couldn't turn in assignments about cars <laughs> because none of them, I mean, they preferred Christian romance at that college. But uh, um, that's where I, I get out of college. I got a job I love. I work, I love my, what I do. Um, and I just didn't have an outlet for that. Well, then, I joined the parking lot ministry at my church, right? And our church is, I don't know how big it was at before COVID is probably 3000 and some people we're parking a lot of cars, meeting a lot of people and having these incredible sovereign moments in a parking lot, because I remember what someone drove or, you know, I was curious about things and started conversations. We made a very big church feel small. 
And so there were just moments of times where a stranger would collapse into my arms saying, my daughter died this week. Would you pray for me? Like, mm. I, you know, because I parked her car for four weeks in a row and she recognized that I was kind or whatever. Uh, I had a friend give his life to Christ on the asphalt behind the cones, just right there. I've wow. had some incredibly sovereign moments. And um, when George Floyd was murdered a couple of years ago, um, our pastors invited a black senior saint up onto stage and let him ask whatever questions of our church leadership he wanted and then allowed them to ask questions. And when my pastor said, you know, hey, we're predominantly white church, you know, what made you feel comfortable here? And he said, the parking team here. Mm, wow. like, I knew something was different in the parking lot. And I knew that guy's license plate. Like, I know, I, I'm not going to say it here for his yeah. benefit, but like, I know what it says, you know, and I, I've, I've parked him and his wife multiple times. And my pastor looked at me and it was just like, yeah, your love for cars and your fascination with the design and the new models and all this stuff makes you really good at your ministry outside here. And if people get ready there to be ambushed by God because of your fascination with cars, we'll sign up more of those guys, you know? And so it, what, again, it's the theme of my book is like all these crazy things I get involved with don't have to be redeemed. Like, I'm not shocking God by showing up on the end of a bungee platform. He's like, oh, yeah. Have you tried this one? You're going to love this. Go home and write about this, you know? So, yeah, the redemption part has been really fun. Wait, wait, wait. Say, so say that again. All these things that you do, like, they don't have to be redeemed. I experienced God in a man. I mean, yes. I, I was telling somebody yesterday, uh, I'm probably the weirdest adrenaline junkie because I often listen to worship music after I get back to the ground or back to my car or whatever. Like, Because <laughs> you're happy have, to be alive. <laughs> well, there's that too, but there's just this exceptional, I mean, just doing the math, right? Like on our planet right now is over 7 billion people. And there's in the history of humankind, there's been like 1,200 people that walked on the wings of a plane. Like you pinch right. yourself because of the exclusivity of it. Um, that to what what via ferrata or paragliding, what it allows you to see of the world and the patterns and how you look at nature is completely different than driving down the highway. And it just feels exclusive. And you're just like, man, God, this is incredible. Thanks for letting me be born right when I did, getting the job I did, the flexibility I have with my career, all this stuff, uh, a wife who encourages me to do this stuff so that I can experience this moment with you. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Well, you've got me thinking about a couple of times when a couple of friends tried to kill me. One of them took me <laughs> like water rafting in down the Platte river in Denver, but it was, we should not have been there. Lucky, <laughs> lucky the kids survived. And the other one took me over Birthed pass and we, that was wow. bad. Anyway, have you ever done that? Like it's, I have it not done like, that one yet. We went up there and we were going to go to a couple, we went over, it was a couple of peaks where they're like, there were there were thirteeners, not fourteen, but we were above tree line, and then you could go over, and then you go, you know, you walk half a mile, and you're over the next one. And anyway, of course, it started to storm right when we got up there. Of course, they tried, they tried <laughs> to kill me. They, anyway, that's what I say. But I gave, those are fond memories because I think you're right. They they you do see God, you see the glory of God, you see His beauty, and you also make those connections with people that are also just really um, valuable and really, really close in ways that you can't otherwise get. And they don't have to be huge like what I do. A lot of people sure. go, well, how in the world does your book apply to the average person? And my wife doesn't do this stuff with me, but she's relationally and spiritually courageous in ways that mm -hmm. I'm still working up to. I, I've been in a cafe. I, I wrote part of my book in Portland. 
didn't know anybody there. And I got a Holy Spirit prompting, write a huge tip and write Jesus loves you on the on the ticket, right? And I was scared. I sat there for four minutes trying to work up the courage to to do that. Wow. And I've had moments, one of my buddies came to Christ. He had someone walk up to him. He was out of, he was paying cash at a at a register at a, our local grocery store. And um, he's like, ah, oh, nuts. I don't have. And somebody walked over from the door and said, God told me to do this. I'm sorry. And puts money down on the the belt there, you know? And it was the exact change, the exact amount he needed for that. And he said, God told me to give you that, right? Wow. That dude had to respond to a prompt that felt weird. It probably felt just like me on the end of a bungee platform. You go, oh man, I've had that multiple times where I, whether it's in a parking lot or church or somewhere at the Y or whatever, you're like, hey, that you got to go talk to that person. You're like, no, I don't want to, I'm in the middle of a workout. Like I'm, I'm in my groove, you know? those moments, those inflection moments are just as big where you text somebody. I, one of the stories I told in the book was my, I was swimming laps on a Monday morning at the YMCA and I get this prompting in the middle of a lap, pray for your buddy mounts right now. And here's what you pray for him. That's weird. Why would God tell me something to tell him right back? Like he already knows. Right. So yeah. I do that. I finish swimming laps. I get out, I text mounts. I say, um, I don't know what's going on in your life. We haven't talked in a while, but I was told to pray this for you this morning. Is there, does that mean anything? He's like, call me right now. So I'm driving home. I call him. He's like, how did you know? I, I I didn't know. And it was freaking me out to tell you this from the locker room at the YMCA, naked guys walking around. You're just like, <laughs> God told me to pray this for you. Those moments. I mean, it, it could be different. The biggest adventure of my life has been becoming an adoptive dad. You know, like it can look different for different people, lending someone your car, lending someone your house, bringing a refugee in to live with you, whatever the it doesn't have to be going out on the wing of a plane. It could be going over to your really ornery neighbor and say, Hey, I made you these cookies because Jesus wants you to know he loves you. And you know, like, it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be surfing in the Arctic or whatever. Yeah. I love that. All right, friends. So there's your challenge for the week. Uh, what's one courageous thing you can do. It doesn't have to be on the wing of a plane or <laughs> surfing in the Arctic. I didn't even know you could do that down there. Uh, but you can, uh, you can do one really courageous thing and that's ask God what he wants you to do. Hmm. And then when he tells you, go ahead and do it and see what happens. And when you do, I want you to send me, go to, go to halfway there, podcast.com, hit that contact button. Let me know. I would love to hear it. And uh, maybe if I get a few of those, I'll, I'll share them with you guys on the podcast. That'd be great. Um, because I know God does those things. I know that he, 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 if you were listen, if we're open, he wants to use you because you are his agent of the kingdom of God in the world. And if you don't believe that, uh, I, well, try it and then you'll find out, I guess. How about <laughs> well, that? And it works. So like our bodies, people are like, I can't believe that you do the stuff you do. I'd be so scared. And they're always amazed to find out that I'm scared of heights. White water makes me have to pee. Like, I, yeah. But I do it because I'm scared and there's reward chemicals. We get the dopamine, the epinephrine, all those different chemicals. The same thing happens with our faith, right? The scary our surrender or obedience is, it feels like the more reward we get for doing it. Yeah. And it's not dopamine necessarily, though it could be, but it's like, oh yeah, this is God's pleasure. This is God's approval. Why wouldn't he want us to enjoy this? Yep. hundred percent. I love it. All right, Ryan, thanks for sharing some of your story with us guys. The book, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, sorry about that. It's just called scared to life tales of a good God who reveals his heart when ours is racing. I feel like that applies to a lot of situations. Like we said, again, scared to life. You can get that. Uh, I'll have it linked up at halfway there podcast.com, or you can get it over at, um, at, uh, Amazon or any place you get your, uh, your books. Um, and the other, the other thing is, 
But where can people find you, Ryan? Where, where's the best Where's the best website to send them to? Uh, Instagram. I'm at Ryplane. That's R Y P L A N E, and that link is on all of my websites. Uh, ScaredToLifeBook.com. You can find me on Facebook. It's really easy to find me. I'm the guy wearing a big red jacket and a yellow kayak over my shoulder. There you go. Awesome. Thanks for being here, Ryan. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, just do something that scares you for God, not because it scares you, but because he's calling you. And what I've been writing in every book is, may Jesus reward you every time you follow him outside your comfort zone. Oh, I love that. All right. Hey, this podcast, I was scared when I first got behind the microphone, but here we are 300 years later. Hey, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Thanks for being here.